Uh, welcome, everyone. Okay, some of you may know me. Uh, my family have been uh, part of this church for about 10 years, I think. And Riverside has played uh, quite a big part in my upbringing. Uh, this series is about um, different stages of life, so I'm just going to describe mine real quick. So I just turned 21 on Monday. Um, <laughs> shout out to me. Uh, uh, I just finished university as well. Um, and I hear the phrase, you've got the whole life ahead of you a lot. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a good thing to have. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I was asked what the faith of a young adult uh, looks like. What challenges do I face? Where does my faith fit in? And how could I relate to a Bible character? So it got me thinking, scanning through web pages, uh, flicking through Bible notes, trying to question who I could relate to the most. And at first, it didn't really seem like anyone. Uh, Bible characters don't really you know, fit into my life. Um, everything was different at their time. And they're not just into the same things that I am. But after a bit, I looked a bit deeper and I stopped trying to place a Bible character into 2017. Prayed for clarity for a bit and I came across the story of King Jehoshaphat where I learned a lot. Um, first, a bit of backstory to Jehoshaphat. We have King Ahab. And his character is given to us in 1 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 30. Forgive me, I don't actually have words on the screen. Um, Ahab did evil in, in, in chapter 16. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And um, <clears throat> he did more to provoke the Lord God than the Lord God of Israel than any other king before him. So he kind of did a lot. He was a promoter of false religions on a grand scale and oversaw the systematic destruction of the prophets of the Lord. What happened was King Ahab asked King Jehoshaphat to join him in battle and he did that. He said yes after consulting 400 prophets. So now we get on to Jehoshaphat. He's a big contrast to Ahab. We read that in 1 Kings uh, chapter 22 verse 43 that King Jehoshaphat lived doing which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He exercised a godly influence in the land, teaching people the ways of God. So Jehoshaphat was a good guy. He did what he was supposed to, and he was fair and the spirit of the Lord could be seen through him. However, he was faced with a decision later on, on his relationship with King Ahab. And this is where we come into the idea of compromising and blind spots. So the definition of compromising is the first definition I have is an agreement or settlement uh, of a dispute that is reached by making a concession. And the second one is to accept standards that are lower than, des than desirable. So where does this all link to me? So like I said, I'm uh, just turned 21. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of choices, uh, choices to make. So the first one uh, is kind of a big one. It's about career and finance and stuff like that. So like I've just finished university, I've got a big dent in my wallet, um, about 25 grand. Uh, and my career, my career uh, decision is based on how much money I can make to pay this debt off and to buy a nice car, to buy a nice house. And that's pretty much it. Um, what I've read online is that, you know, in your 20s, what you need to do to make so much money is to work hard, uh, long hours, Late, late nights, early mornings in the office, you know, searching and trying to get that bonus or whatever, trying to get those, you know, uh, 
clients that no one can get and you know trying to be successful and that that's what will bring you success you know all that hard work yeah i want you know the nice car and the nice house and all all of those perks uh, of my job but i will have to compromise something uh, to get that like i said working long hours means well i found out that um real life work is very draining uh, it, 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 like, um, like I really respect all the people that work a nine-to-five because it's, it's hard. It can take up more than nine-to-five. It takes up a lot of time. You get home and you're very, very tired. You don't really have much time to yourself because it's watch program, get to bed, wake up the next day and do it all again. So where does... Uh, time for God really fit in into that and especially if I want to make as much money as possible um, I will have to compromise my faith basically um, it's not really a good thing is it the gospel teaches us in John 4 verse 24 uh, that God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth in Matthew 6 verse 24 it says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. So what I look for, um, my question to God, and what I look for in scripture is guidance because of, because of all these decisions I have to make. Like I mentioned, blind spots, they can become big problems. Like the blind spot of searching for uh, success, searching for money, searching for possessions, uh, blind spots means you're blind to everything else. If this goal that I have, um, that I want to reach so bad, uh, I can compromise my faith a lot um, due to this, compromise the time that I spend with God and ultimately you know, lose my way in the world. Let's go back to um, how Jehoshaphat dealt with his problem. So like I said, these 400 prophets came along and Josephat was now found listening to these liars who professed um, to speak in the name of God. It says that in 2 Chronicles uh, 18, verse 5. So at this point, um, we notice a change in Jehoshaphat. Uh, his, his, um, his association with, Ke with King Ahab had a subtle effect. Like I said, blind spots. Um, uh, he placed um, lesser value on the word of God than he should have by listening to 400 prophets and consequently um, they lost the battle it's a bit sad and King Ahab uh, was killed in the in the battle as well um, what I get from this is uh, having peers around you um, that you can look to for guidance um, being a, a, a nice big church there are loads of people who have been in my position before uh, you know, fresh out of uni and they see the world and they want to go and get everything that they can. Uh, but it's good to, to talk to these people and to, you know, uh, ask the questions like, um, you know, what do I do in my 20s? Uh, you know, to, to, to stop um, these blind spots coming up and uh, becoming big problems and, and how, how, how do I keep my faith going uh, through the hard times that are going to come uh, and yeah like I said these peers um, that Josephat didn't have he had 400 uh, prophets that weren't of God but I have you know 500 people that are so it's 
it's um it's a blessing uh to be here uh thank you now to uh, andrea One, two, ah, oh, sweet. I hope everyone is um, doing all right today. Um, so yeah, Anthony has been talking to us. This series, I've, I've really enjoyed this series. I've only been able to see a, few, see a few, but actually having all these different kinds of people coming up and sharing from about their faith in different stages and the struggles that they are going through during different stages of life has been quite a blessing for me anyway to kind of just see potentially even what my life might look like in the future. So I've, um, I've actually really enjoyed it. So yeah, back, a bit of backstory to me. Some people may know me, some people may not. Um, my name's Andrea. Um, I moved here for RPA almost be five years in October. Um, and I'm still here, so you can't get rid of me. Um, and one thing, well, two things that have always been a huge part of my life um, are uncertainty and this thing called the waiting place. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> this thing called the waiting place. Um, I, with my family, my parents are missionaries, and we moved to Poland when I was four, which meant that... Um, visas and uncertainty and timing, having money, getting deported, all of these random things were kind of a huge part of our life. Um, and uncertainty was a very, very big block um, that was kind of part of that. And this thing called the waiting place was huge growing up. Um, so that's something I've always struggled with. So when looking at kind of characters of where I am now. So similar to Anthony, I've just finished uni, I'm almost 24, and I'm at that place where, to be honest, I don't know what God wants next, but also I don't know where God wants me to do that thing that I don't know in the, f in the future. I, I, I just don't know really anything, which is great, loving it. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, visas take time and getting deported is a real thing. So for me, it's always a big ball of anxiety that um, I struggle with. So when looking at characters, I ended up looking at Elijah and I kept swapping characters, Anthony can tell you that, um, until I finally kind of found Elijah. Um, so starting off, actually a bit of backstory to Elijah. Um, if we look, it's actually very similar to Antony's. We're gonna be looking a bit at King Ahab, but only a tiny sliver. Um, so a bit of backstory, we're gonna be reading, kind of focusing on 1 Kings chapter 17, but going kind of halfway into chapter 15, we start getting a list of kings to kind of put us into perspective of where we are. Um, and we just get a list of kings, and um, all of them have this one really, really interesting phrase in common, and it's basically, blank did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So they have a great thing in common. Um, they were all horrible kings who did evil things. Um, so you have, it goes through all this list, and it gets to Ahab, and, and as well in my translation, I love it, because it, it's, it basically says that um, Ahab did the most evil in the eyes of the Lord, so kudos, he won that competition of being the worst. Um, so that's kind of where we are. Like Anthony kind of said, this was the time when these kings were <laughs> introducing all these false prophets, these false idols, and just taking the people of Israel away from God and from what he was trying to say and who he was. And 
all these, it was just a really, really horrible time. And this is when Elijah kind of came into place. And so we first read about him in the very first verse of chapter 17. Um, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbia in Galilee said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So God sends Elijah, this is the first we've heard of him, never heard of him before, who know, we don't know who he is, he just kind of pops in and God sends him to Ahab and then whips him away to this thing called the waiting place. Um, so kind of paraphrasing a bit, next he goes and he goes to a brook and he gets fed by ravens and God helps and provides in that way but then obviously there's a drought so the brook kind of disappears and then he sends him off to Zarephath where he spends the majority of his time. And this is where we come to my very first point. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this, this chapter was this interaction, his very first interaction with the widow who is, the, is gonna be his person that he's gonna be spending this waiting place with, one of the people. Um, and it was, I mean, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you read and decide for yourself. For me, it was a very strange interaction. Um, so, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I, I was a bit, I thought this was a bit ridiculous at first and then I actually kind of started thinking a bit more and started realizing that, wow, she must have been so broken and so desperate to have come to that point where they had no food and they had enough for one meal and that was it and was, she was expecting to die. Um, but the very first thing that God really used Elijah for was to bless and to care for these people. And that, that, that is ultimately what one of the things he was doing while he was there was he was blessing on these people and God provided for them whilst they were providing for Elijah. And we'll be seeing a bit more of the blessing as well in a bit. So the next thing that we see is, the next very important thing in the whole story is timing. And it's God's timing. And again, kind of reading a bit further on when we go to chapter 18, the very first verse, just the very first eight words, it's exactly how long he was there. It said, after a long time in the third year. So Elijah was in this waiting place for at least three years. And there's nothing written about what God told him, whether he was told anything, or it seems what I read from all of this was that he was just there and he knew nothing. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't know where he was gonna be. He just knew nothing. That's horrible. I hate that. <laughs> but he just was there and he knew nothing. But timing was a huge thing because actually thinking about it, if God had said there's gonna be a drought for a day or a month or a year, it just wouldn't have had anywhere near as big of an impact as it had to for, for the people, for the people of Israel. So timing was a very, very huge thing. Which then leads to the last point, which is that God was continuously preparing Elijah. I think he was doing this in different ways. Um, one of the big ways that he was doing this was showing how amazing and strong and mighty he was. God, not Elijah, well Elijah as well, but God. And showing how powerful he was and could be. 
because the truth of the matter was, there was something big coming. Elijah didn't know this, I don't think. It didn't seem like he knew anything about it. But what was coming next in chapter 18 was Mount Carmel, which again, some people may know, some people may not, but I'll get to that in a bit. But what he was doing is the very first thing was he was showing him his might through miracles. So the very first one was the miracle of the flour and the oil. And I remember that from when I was a kid. I remember learning that in Sunday school. That was just something that we learned to get to know Elijah and to just you know, see how amazing God was. And that was the very first thing that God did using Elijah. Um, for the jar of, jar of flour was not used in the up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So that was the very first miracle. But the very second miracle was actually to do with the widow's son when he passed away. And when, God, when Elijah cried out, the Lord brought him back to life. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. So the very first thing that God was doing was he was preparing Elijah by showing him miracles and showing him how strong and mighty he was and how much Elijah could count on God once he got to this next big thing because Mount Carmel was coming up and that was the time when God was going to prove all these false prophets, false idols wrong and show his amazing strength and how true he actually was and how fake everything that these people had been focusing on was. So God was really preparing for a big, big thing. But I think one of the things to remember is we cannot always see what God is doing. I don't think, and it's not written, that Elijah had any knowledge of what was happening. But actually he was blessing and caring for these people throughout, whether he realized it or not, he was really, really blessing them and loving on them throughout his time there. But actually the timing was very, very important and it had to be a significant amount of time. And it had to be time so that God had enough time, said that a lot of times, <laughs> to prepare Elijah for something big, because he wouldn't have been ready otherwise if he hadn't had the preparation and hadn't been learning for those three years. And what I really just want this to be today is I want it to be an encouragement for anyone out there who is, has been in a waiting stage, I'm sure we all have, has, ha is in one currently, has just come off of one, or knows there's going to be more in the future, is to just know that God is there. And to be honest, we can't see the entire puzzle. We only have the puzzle pieces that we kind of are stepping on. And God's the only one who sees the wide map, the whole thing of what it's gonna end up. And he is there and he is prepping us. And whether, whether you're someone who has really been struggling with waiting, whether it's for, for a partner or for, for kids or retirement and not knowing what the next step is or whether you're like me and a chapter is closed and you have no idea what's next, is that God is continuously there and he's blessing, he's blessing us and he wants, he's putting people in our lives so that we can continuously be doing things, blessing people, but also like Anthony said, surrounding ourselves with people who can also bless us when we just feel down and when we're giving up, was to, sur is to surround ourselves by really amazing people who can keep, keep us going. But the timing is really important and sometimes that thing in the future might not even exist until a particular time or we might not be ready for it until a particular time but that God is not gonna set us in blindly, that we are gonna be prepared and he's gonna make sure that we're ready and that we're gonna get there and that we'll, be, that we'll be able to trust him when we do. 
Let's pray. God, I just, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and that you never forsake us, even in those times of silence, in those times when we don't know what is next, in those times when we're waiting and we feel like we're waiting aimlessly without hearing anything. But God, we, we know that you're here. And God, I just pray that you would surround anyone who feels like they're just completely giving up because they're in this place. And that you would surround them by your love and by, by people who can love on them as well, God. Amen.